0: I got another rhyme, another rhythm for y'all to listen. I'm never quitting on my mission. I'm going to roll with what I'm giving. Got some ambition. This new addition, filling positions. Looking at the void in myself and feeling what's missing. Better watch the way you're going. Better go in the right direction. In the moment, you're stressing, but you're going to be counting blessings. And I know that for certain. Keep on working. Open curtains. Hate it swerving because they ain't ready for your final version. Whoa. I'm never going to give up. give
1: up. You're listening All to the Tom Sickler Show on WNHH LP, 103.5 FM. You're home for community radio. With that voice you hear is Harry, our station manager at WNHH, and I always like to <clears throat> wish Harry a happy uh, holiday season and happy new year, and, and by, by derivative, everyone else that's listening. But it's important to kind of build the relationship. It's important to kind of keep the communication going. You read so much about what the definition of leadership is. For me, leadership is just uh, re- relating, relating the people, relating the people and relating to yourself and keeping keeping a goal, some some common goals in mind. Today, uh, it's Monday, December 19th, and we're we're going to definitely talk about some common goals. <clears throat> and it occurs to me, it, as my guest, Dr. Eric Weiner and, and Reverend Dr. Leroy O'Perry and Reverend Alvin Clayton weigh, weigh in, that this is a perfect show because people often talk about New Year's resolutions. But certainly in 2023, you're going to encounter somebody or know someone that's will have cancer or, or is uh, it's going to get diagnosed for cancer, or let's be frank, will die of cancer. And so we want to kind of talk about, for 20 as we move into 2023, cancer care health disparities. Yes, that is a reality, but how can we draft down that that reality as well? So Dr. Eric Weiner is with us. Dr. Eric Weiner assumed the role as director of the Yale Cancer Center and physician-in-chief of, of Smilo Cancer Network as of this past February. And to, as 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 mentioned, this show will look at how he plans, and not just he, but how do we? It's he and we plan to drive down cancer mortality by building really fair and equitable access to cancer care and research, not only in New Haven, but in the surrounding areas. And if, if truth be told, the Yale, Yale um, is a global institution. It has a leadership role. It it it, it, it depends and 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 motivates and and, and uh, is, is coordinated in terms of inspiration and leadership. So this show is not just for the research in New Haven and surrounding areas. We want to uh, amend that word to the surrounding world. Uh, so Dr. Eric Weiner is the uh, Alfred Gilman Professor of Pharmacology and Professor of Medicine. He's Director of Yale Cancer Center, as I mentioned, and Physician-in-Chief at the Smilow Cancer Center. Reverend Dr. Leroy Perry Jr. is Pastor of St. Stephen's Amy Church and Cultural Ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. And we're joined last but not least by Reverend Alvin Clayton, Pastor of Walters Memorial, Amy Zion Church, and Cultural Ambassador to the Yale Clinical Research Program. My, mighty gents, good morning. How's everybody? Good morning. Good. Dr. Weiner, let, let, let's kick it off for the next uh, 50 minutes or so. And you know, tell us a little bit about your your new role as the. Director of the Yale Cancer Center. It's my first time kind of seeing you, so welcome. You know, if I can, extend my personal welcome. And uh, so, tell us about your roles and also your physician, your physician in chief of the Smilo Cancer Network.
2: So, I, I think I have to start by just talking a little bit about me and how I got here. Um, so, in some ways, I'm a pretty boring person. I've lived in three cities in my whole life. I grew up in Boston. I came here to college and spent 13 years, hopefully doing a little more than college, but I went to college here and started in graduate school and Russian studies and ended up deciding I wanted to be a doctor and going to medical school and doing some training here. And I was down at Duke for 10 years. Um, by this point, I was married and had kids. Um, and then we all moved back to Boston um, about 25 years ago. And I spent most of my career um, running the breast cancer program at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute and being both a breast cancer researcher and a breast cancer clinician. And truth be told, um, I am really thrilled to be back here. Um, I never thought that I we would move back to New Haven and to Yale. Um, I was pretty happy in Boston, but it felt like this was an opportunity I, I couldn't pass on. And um, in my role, I'm the person responsible for moving the research forward within the Cancer Center and at the same time, um, overseeing the, the clinical care that we give to patients with cancer um, in Yale New Haven Hospital and in, in our surrounding hospitals.
1: Excellent, excellent, and you know, it just occurred to me that some of our shows get rather complex, but this is a a basic show, but it's also a complex show because every question we're going to pose and every topic we're going to discuss is a way of just really illuminating how we can reduce cancer uh, cancer uh, health disparities. So, so Reverend Clayton and Reverend uh, uh, Perry, I encourage you to kind of kind of jump in, uh, but but just 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 before you do. Uh, Dr. Weiner, it might be a little confusing to folks because you hear these, the, the Yale Cancer Center, then you hear Smilo Cancer Center, can, Smilo Cancer Network, I should say. So what is there a, a functional or operative difference or is it is, it, is there a difference in meaning?
2: Uh, so yes and no. And it, it really sh- is not meant to confuse people. So technically the Yale Cancer Center is part of Yale University and the School of Medicine. And I think as people know, Yale New Haven Hospital and Yale New Haven Health System is technically a separate entity. It's a separate corporate entity. Um, And that's where care is delivered. But the truth is that the two are very closely aligned. They're becoming more and more aligned. And the fact that my job is essentially in both places really speaks to the fact that this is where we do Cancer clinical care—it's where we do cancer research and where we educate people, the next generation of of, of health professionals—and um, it's it's really all one and the same in my view.
1: Excellent. The Excellent.
2: more we the more we blur any distinctions, the better it is for us and the better it is for the public.
1: Perfect. Perfect. R- Reverend Perrin, and Reverend Clayton, let, let's let's dive in because again, the general theme is how do we reduce. These health disparities and the fact that uh, Dr. Weiner and others acknowledge that there are health disparities. So this is a let's just let's just dive in. Uh, any any thoughts that come to your mind as we open up the show?
3: Yes, Dr. Weiner, we uh, we were fortunate to hear you at the uh, Cambria Hotel yep. when you were talking about advances and challenges in breast cancer treatment and how it affects um, disadvantaged populations. If you could talk a little about that, that would be great.
2: So um, I'm happy, I'm always happy to talk about breast cancer because I've spent my life focusing on breast cancer, but really everything I say about breast cancer applies to cancer across the board. Mm -hmm. So um, there are huge disparities in healthcare in general, and certainly in cancer care in the United States, and very clearly in New Haven and in Connecticut as a whole. And just to, to focus for a second on one statistic, if you are a 20 year old black American woman, you have twice the chance of dying from breast cancer by the time you're 50 hmm. compared to a 20 year old white American woman. Oh, now. That is just not okay. And there are many, many possible reasons. We know some of them. We don't don't fully understand others. But in my mind, that statistic alone says it's time to act. And again, we may not have all the answers, but we can try to learn more and more as we're acting, not just observing. Um, As cancer treatment gets better and better, and as I think almost everyone knows, there's been (coughs) really a, a revolution in cancer treatment over the past two decades. And there are more and more drug therapies and other treatments that are available. We're able to cure more people than ever before. Not that we we have all the answers and not that there still aren't many people who are dying because we don't have the right treatments. But the better the treatments get, the more tragic the disparity is. Hmm. Because when you don't have very good treatment, if one person gets a little bit, less optimal treatment than another but if the outcome is the same for everyone it doesn't seem to me quite as as horrific but when we know we have treatments that can prolong life that can reduce suffering that can cure people and we can't apply those across the board then i think it's just criminal
4: oh is, is
2: that national is that in new so table, The, the breast new... cancer statistic is a national statistic, but I don't have any reason to believe it doesn't apply equally well to Connecticut. And we know that there are disparities, not just in breast cancer, but in lung cancer, in prostate cancer, in multiple myeloma, on and on and on. Um, and, you know, thankfully, the National Cancer Institute has really embraced the need to do something. And there are in the United States 52 comprehensive cancer centers. One of them is Yale. We've, had, we've been a comprehensive cancer center since 1974. And it used to be that the purpose of being designated a comprehensive cancer center and what one was supposed to do with the grant that, that we as a cancer center received from, from the National Cancer Institute was to really help organize the science and had it had relatively little to do with having an impact on the community. And now what has changed is that in the criteria for for receiving these awards, what is featured very, very prominently is the need to embrace the community, to have an impact on the community, to bring the community um, into Cancer research and cancer care, and to really do something that's going to make a difference for 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 people um, who are you know living within our area.
1: So, so Reverend Clayton, Reverend Perry, myself, and Dr. Weiner, So let's drill down on that thought. But what can we, the, the collective we, and do, and should the, what what should the collective we do, and what can the collective we do in this regard in terms of reducing cancer disparities?
2: You want me to start that one? <laughs> uh,
1: you, you've been so. You, I've done this show for a few years, and it's it's rare to have a, a a guest and an informed and expert guest come out of the box, really stating the, the challenge, stating the, the the historical challenge so clearly and succinctly. And as we move to twenty three, uh, yes, I need you. This is a this is a brainstorming uh, show at at the moment. Wh- whether okay. we need to protest, whether we need to pick, up, whether we. <laughs> whether we need to not submit our tax returns, whether we need to <laughs> run I
2: I, I, think, I I think we need to act. And okay. um, so I won't pretend um, to have all the answers myself at all. And I need to rely upon many, many others who have been working in this area of healthcare disparities for their entire careers. Um, in some ways, I'm a newcomer to this um you know i've talked about this for the last decade but i'm not someone who has actually done done most of m- most of my work has not been research on healthcare disparities so i have to turn to others but we need to have partnerships between the community and between doctors and healthcare systems um it's not going to work for the Yale Cancer Center, SMILO, call it whatever you, you want here. But it's not going to work for us to just go out and say, we need, to, we, we need for you to come in and get care, because if you don't get care, you're not going to do as well. There are lots and lots of reasons why um, people, and I'm going to focus specifically on Black men and women, because I think that's where the, the problem is the greatest. Um, There are lots of reasons why people traditionally have not had access and have not been able to take advantage of the care that's available. And for those answers, we often can't look inward. We have to look outward and we have to embrace people in the community. So people like Marcella Nunez-Smith, who has a, a long, long, long history of doing outreach work in the community, have to help us, um, as do all of you, and, and we all have to work together um, to both get the message out, but then to help people come in and get care. And it's not just a matter of coming in once. You know, Getting cancer treatment is a big commitment. It's lots of visits, it's lots of treatments, it's side effects, it can be expensive. And we need to help people get through all of that you know it's a little bit like you have a new position and you want to recruit somebody well you need to not just recruit them you need to retain them after they're there and we need to make sure that patients feel comfortable coming to see us we need to sometimes go out and see people in their in their own environment and then we need to make it easier for people <laughs> um and again i don't have all the answers i do know that if you're a um, if you're a person, if you're a woman with breast cancer who's 35 and you have three children under the age of 10, and one of them, let's say, is has some chronic medical isu- issue themselves, and you don't have a lot of financial resources, that prioritizing your health may not be the thing that y- you immediately think of. And so we need to help people do that.
1: Indeed, and it seems to me, Reverend Clayton and Reverend Perry, this is a good chance to kind of just remind people about the. the, the, the Dr. Weiner's talked about this nexus of of uh, of communication, this this interlocking kind of movement and motif for how we can bring everybody on board in terms of the the freedom health train. It seems to me that this is a good good opportunity to kind of elaborate on the the role of the cultural ambassadors to the Yale Clinical Research Program and why historically it's been so seminal. And then moving into 23, 2023, it uh, will continue to kind of build, build the momentum.
2: Can I just say one other thing first, though? Sure. Which is that um, if I say anything that doesn't resonate with all of you, and if I misspeak about anything related to the community, just tell me. Because I don't have your expertise.
1: Reverend Perry and 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 Dr. Wine, I really appreciate that, and I think the in in some ways we're all kind of working with in, in the dark. So as we kind of we want to shed light twenty three on all of us. So I just wonder, Reverend Perry, if you had any comment in this regard?
3: Yeah, I think it's uh I think it's I think that the winner is you're you're so correct when you say it it's not either side of the coin. It's both sides of the coin uh, because we can tell people we can we can communicate the. The necessity and the essential uh, necessity for people to go in and get screened and get checked. But like I, it, what I heard you say at one of the meetings was that some of these tests cost so much money, and if you don't have any health care, you may not even get that particular screening, which means here again, it's it's both. We've got to be able to either change policy uh, with Medicare, Medicaid, or whatever so that people who are marginalized can in fact uh, be in the picture. (laughs) I mean, in in the ballpark Mm -hmm. for the healing that we're talking about. And and as long as that, that disparity is there, we really have a problem. The other thing I think I heard you say was that even if we had new tech, even if we had new discoveries and therapies, if we didn't have the people coming in to get screened, It really doesn't make a difference here. It doesn't really matter unless you come in for the screening or for the testing. Uh, And I think that's essential. Reverend
1: Clayton?
4: Yes, Dr. Weiner, you are so on point with your comments and remarks thus far. Um, But there there was something that uh, I wanted to ask or share there 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 are so many men <clears throat> who who do have means who do have insurance um and and they die young of prostate cancer which seems to be ridiculous when when we know that if they can get tested early enough that it's over 90% chance that they will survive that and You know, when when you tell us and telling our audience that people should be screened, people should go in, how much louder do we have to sound the trumpet to get these brothers to, to move forward
2: to protect their own health? So maybe we need to go to them. And, you know, there are many aspects of the healthcare system that are not very friendly for any of us. I mean, it's, since I've been in New Haven, I've had some a few medical issues. And I'll tell you that as the cancer center director and somebody who's got plenty of health insurance and plenty of you know, health related education, I find it hard to deal with the healthcare system. Now, imagine what it's like for everybody else. And then on top of it, you know, look, the fact of the matter is, we have mostly white doctors less so nurses but still mostly white nurses and i think that there are many reasons why black men and women are sometimes a little suspicious of the healthcare system and you know don't don't feel like it's been built for them and so we need to make a special effort now of course the other thing we need to do is of course diversify our healthcare providers and we're making major efforts to do that. But we need to act before we can fully diversify because that's going to take a little while. Thank you. Are you and on the- you know, with with prostate cancer screening, you know, it's it's a blood test for the most part. I mean there there's a physical exam too, but the blood test in and of itself is quite valuable. And that's something that can be done in churches, it can be done in community centers, it can be done any place.
1: Excellent. Dr. Wenner, I'm thinking, uh, before we come, come back to the, and continue on this theme of, of disparities, uh, preventive care, we hear this term a lot, and given your your involvement for this last several decades, and really so pleased that you t- started the top of the show, kind of sharing people Really, your commitment and passion, and and uh, and and carrying that this this cross, so that if I can use that expression, uh, uh, with such an optimistic point of view from preventative care, what kind of what would you suggest, or what does your, the research show, or your experience, your anecdotal or actual evidence based research show, in terms of the uh, the impact and need for preventative care?
2: Uh, well, I mean, the more we can do to prevent, the better we are. Um, in terms of cancer, the biggest things we can, the two biggest things we can do to prevent cancer is number one, not use tobacco products. And Hmm. number two, not, um, not gain a lot of weight Hmm. because um, at the moment, tobacco use is, is probably still the, the, the biggest cause of, of, cancer that we can potentially prevent but it is very soon going to be replaced as more and more people are are quitting smoking um and um and at the same time more and people more and more people are becoming more and more overweight it's going to be quickly um, replaced by um being overweight and there are 13 different cancers that are increased in incidence and in most cases mortality, as a result of excess body weight. So this is a big problem, and those those are the two, those are the two biggest areas. Of course, um, getting physical activity helps, but it may help more than anything else by helping to control body weight.
1: And, and not to take too not to dive too too deep into the weeds, and I'm not going to ask you to give a Grand round presentation on, on obesity, but but for, from a layperson standpoint, what's what, what two or three sentences could you share about why, what happens to the body with it being an enlarged size,
2: so to speak? Yeah, so um, there's a lot of research going on regarding that, and there isn't one answer, um, but um, but it may well relate to um to insulin and what happens in terms of um, uh, various metabolic controls. Um, And it also may result in a state of chronic inflammation Mm. and inflammation in and of itself can lead to the development of cancer. So there are people who think of being overweight or being obese as a, as a, Chronic inflammatory condition, mm. but there's 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 probably more to it than 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 that as well, and it's it's complicated, and it may well be that the reason that um, that being overweight increases the risk of breast cancer may be very different than why it increases the risk of pancreatic cancer, mm. and you know I think as as everyone knows in the United States. We have a uh, a real epidemic of uh, of 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 obesity at this
4: point mm-hmm. in time. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. I have a a light
4: question. Um, people who who really love cakes and pies <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and uh, you mean like me did... <laughs> I didn't hear you, doctor. I said, you mean like me? Yes. Yeah, yeah, well, if you're one of those people, I am. I, I'm with you about 200%. But how serious is that when, when it comes to, to
2: cancers? So I don't think the problem is eating a piece of cake or pie. I yeah. think the problem is if you eat enough so that you really put on a lot of body weight. And by the way, the, the other thing I should mention is that... Um, Significant alcohol use also increases the risk of certain kinds of cancer, too. Mm-hmm. So you know there's no reason why people can't have um, a, a glass of wine or two or a drink or two um, on an intermittent basis. But um, you know the the uh, recommendations are that women, do not consume more than an average of one alcoholic beverage a day, and men not consume more than two.
3: Mm. Doctor Wan well, I had a, I had a question. Yeah. When you mentioned the fifty-two uh, comprehensive cancer centers, it is it is clear to me that not all centers are equal. <laughs> that mm. outcomes in one center with the uh, with prostate cancer may be completely different or lower than in other centers. Yeah, and one of one of the doctors um, uh, that we had on our show mentioned that to us, and he said that it could also be related to the doctors themselves and their training. Uh, just as a, just just as an open question, like if I which, I know I don't I know you I know you're not going to say Yale is the best center, but
1: <laughs> well, it is it is, but but I'll say it for
3: <laughs> if you if you had. <laughs> So each center might have a different. Like, for example, if you're if you're in New York or if you're in Connecticut, people are gonna go to the center that's closest. But hmm. if I had m- the rich folk, I'm just saying, could find the center that has the best outcomes, right? And probably get the tr- the better treatment because they can afford it and because they know the statistics. Like right now, out of fifty two. I would always think that I went to Yale, so I'm thinking, oh, Yale's gonna be the best, or Harvard's gonna be the best, or Stanford's gonna be the best. But in reality, we don't know. Is there a way we could uh, determine that? And does that really affect
2: our outcomes in a place like New Haven? Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really hard to assess um, outcomes at different centers, um, oftentimes because patient populations vary so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it's it's probably fair to say that if you're a patient and you go to any one of the 52 comprehensive cancer centers, plus, and there are many others that are not comprehensive cancer centers that are very, very good, that you're probably going to do about as well as you can. I mean, I don't know that um, debating whether there's one place that's the very best you know, is worth a lot of energy. Um, I do think that um, that people need to go someplace where they're comfortable mm-hmm. and where they feel that they can mm-hmm. communicate with their doctors and a place where there are specialists because increasingly and i think this is a, a pretty important point um cancer is complicated cancer isn't one disease breast cancer itself is probably six or eight different, very distinct diseases that Mm. all happen to arise in the breast. Mm. But it's really hard for a cancer doctor, for an oncologist to take care of breast cancer and lung cancer and prostate cancer and every imaginable cancer. And I think increasingly what you're going to see is that at most centers, that they're really prostate cancer specialists who are taking care of prostate cancer Mm -hmm. and that people are going to should really look for that kind of level of specialization Hmm. good question Uh, but you know you, you also have to you have to feel like you can communicate with your doctor um it's uh you know when you're healthy if your primary care doctor is somebody you get along with or you don't get along with quite as well but you see them once a year it doesn't really have a huge impact on on your overall quality of life. When you have a significant medical problem, whether it's cancer or anything else, that relationship with the healthcare system is a big part of your life, and you deserve to have a a, a, a good relationship where you can communicate easily.
3: Doctor, uh, we had a young man uh, in our community who was like in his late 40s and he said that he had a white doctor and when he went to his doctor his doctor would spend eight minutes and say i'm going to re- refill your prescription how you feeling and then goodbye but he met some of our cultural ambassadors and said man there's a lot things that got the needs that you need to check out so he went to a black doctor and the black doctor spent 40 minutes with him and said hey you need a pro and this is the time you need to get your uh psa test you need to uh exercise more. And so we realize that that's really a problem as well. You know, how do we get, how do we change? And that's one of the things that the culture ambassadors are trying to do on a different level with our exposure program is to get more young people interested in healthcare and positions in healthcare. So that healthcare can look more like it ought to look, <laughs> you know, in terms of the people who, who, who are gonna be using the self-care system. So you have you have any recommendations that we can send some young interns your way or some students who <laughs> might you might be able to
2: happy to talk to anybody, particularly if they're interested in cancer. And I'll just make one comment about that: that the you know the white doctor who spent eight minutes and the black doctor who spent forty. I hope that that white doctor just spends eight minutes with all patients, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I'm not saying that that's good but at, at least if it's if it's equitable it makes me feel a little bit better what really makes me nervous is the possibility that that doctor might spend 30 minutes with people who he or in some cases she might be more comfortable with um or more who's more like them and is only spending 8 minutes with with the black patient and i think that's the worry that a lot of black men and women have <laughs> when they see doctors
1: and we have about twenty minutes, folks. Let's kind of continue to brainstorm and kind of commune with one another. Dr. Weiner I had a question. Uh, uh, you spoke a few. I forget exactly how long ago about testing process and sometimes a a, a, a testing score that a black uh, woman might have uh, and a white woman might have the same testing score, but there's a but there but there's a difference in in those testing scores in terms of the interpretation. Can you, can you explain what that, what, what that means?
2: Well, so I think that that might refer to a test called Oncotype DX. Yeah. And there's been at least one study that suggested that the implications of, of a score were somewhat different in black and white patients. But I'm going to actually tell you the, the interesting result of a, of a study that was just presented at our big breast cancer meetings in San Antonio a week ago. And so this was from a very large randomized trial um, in which some women got chemotherapy and some women didn't get chemotherapy. um, And they analyzed the results by race and the treatment was all very was the same for everyone. I mean, apart from the fact that some people got chemotherapy, some people didn't, but that had nothing to do, obviously, with race and it turned out that the chemotherapy wasn't beneficial anyway so everybody was essentially the the, the same and the striking thing is that even though everybody was in a clinical trial which you would think would sort of standardize care women who were black had a significantly higher risk of having a recurrence of cancer than women who were white and That to me was a very, very powerful result because it wasn't saying that there was just a problem about access to care or about receiving care, but that there was something beyond that that was affecting black women with breast cancer. And whether that's structural racism or whether it's something else, we certainly need to figure that out.
4: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, So, you know, these, these, these challenges that um, that black women who have breast cancer have are really significant and really need to be both intervened on and at the same time researched. You think genetics plays a part in that? Um, I think that's I, I I don't know, but I don't really think so. I think that's I think that's an easy way for people to sort of potentially explain something away like oh well maybe there's something different genetically. Um, As you all know, you know, there isn't any, you know, the the black population in the country is a population that is genetically pretty diverse, as is Mm -hmm. the white population. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. I think it's much more likely to be something cultural, socioeconomic, what what have you. and and by the way this result held up even when they controlled for body weight women who were black tended to be a little heavier than women who were white they factored that in and it still held up what about economics well i think that's where you're you know that that could be it you know social support is a big issue although you know, I don't know that there's any evidence that, that, you know, black women in the study had worse social support than white women. But in but, terms of treatment, Dr.
3: Weiner, you, you, uh, it's really interesting. I had read the book on uh, Emperor of All Maladies. And, you know, when I, cause at one point I thought that uh, it was a money-making racket <laughs> for doctors to continue the pattern. Uh, but after reading that book, it just blew my mind in terms of how radical surgery moved to radiation and then chemo. And everybody, every doctor had its, had their own kind of like position on where to go and which was the best form of treatment. How do we, how do we, how, how, how can we, is there a standard that we should, that we should be looking at in terms of, is it? you know is it, how do we
2: work through that kind of well, I think people I think we've come a long way and there are now standard clinical pathways and I think there's much more in, in the way of a consensus on the right way of treating different kinds of cancers sure there's debate around the edges but um I think that it's it's compared we have more evidence than we ever did before There are many groups that put together guidelines about how best to take care of people. And so I think that's less of a problem than it once was. If I can just add one more thing. Um, So at Yale, we are truly committed to trying to do something about the disparities um, in Connecticut. You know, Connecticut has the fifth highest median household income in the country and one of the greatest disparities by race. At Yale, we have 15 sites around the around the state. All of those sites within the next year or two will have sub-specialized doctors, mm-hmm. meaning breast cancer doctors, colon cancer doctors, what have you. And we're going to use those sites to then work hard to reach out to the community to take a a truly multi-pronged approach to see that to see if we can possibly, make a dent in the disparities, and I think we can. I think it's gonna take um, a lot of hard work. I think it's gonna take a lot of money, and we're gonna to try to raise that money to do it, um, both in terms of grants and in terms of philanthropy. But something I've, I've said repeatedly over the last few years, if we stopped all drug development in, in, for cancer at the moment, we just decided we weren't gonna create any new drugs, and we eliminated all disparities, um, race and beyond. Um, and we made sure that everyone got the same care. We would have a far greater impact on cancer mortality than you can you could ever imagine. Now, I'm not saying it's an either or. I'm all for making new drugs and getting better mm-hmm. treatments, but We can't do that without at the same time tackling the disparities issue. And um, and I will predict that ten years from now, when we're at a point where we have cures for almost every cancer, that the big issue is going to be delivering those cares to er that care to everyone in the United States, delivering those cures.
1: Dr. Weiner, thank you so much for being a. a profit in this regard, we have over a <laughs> minute, but just as you were, you were chatting about the, uh, the, optim- the optimism about cures, cures in the future, those cures will not manifest themselves without effective clinical trials, correct?
2: Absolutely.
1: So, so chat a little bit about the need for that the, the clinical trial component.
2: Well, so there's no treatment that has ever gone from somebody's laboratory bench to a pharmacy shelf without a clinical trial in between. So we conduct large numbers of clinical trials. Some are randomized trials where people get the best available care and compare it to something that, we may, that may be better. Um, sometimes they're just a single arm trial where everybody gets the same treatment. Um, but clinical trials are critical. We know that we don't have as many black and Hispanic patients in clinical trials um, as we should. It's a huge problem, and if we don't, then it's harder to apply the results to a, to a diverse population. And we also know that one of the biggest problems with including a more diverse population is just getting their doctors to ask them to partic- participate in mm. the trials. Mm. Of course, the other is that trials can be really complicated mm. and require extra visits, and we need to provide support for people to come in for those visits, but, we do need to diversify our, our our clinical trials. Ultimately, the real solution is to make sure that there are no there are no disparities in healthcare, and then it, it then clinical trials will include everyone who mm. wants to participate. Mm. But until we get there, we're going to have to make some special efforts to make sure that that the trials themselves include a pretty diverse population.
1: Tremendous, tremendous. Uh. Please, please, Reverend Clayton. We have ten more minutes, and please weigh in.
4: Uh, my my internet may be a little bit unstable, but um, Dr. Weiner, I, I thought I heard you say that um, there was a study where um, the group was giving half the group was giving chemotherapy, and half the group did not receive that. Correct. Um, and and the results were the, the same. same. So if that is true, why do <laughs> most of the cancer patients receive chemo?
2: This was so this was one specific group of patients. This was postmenopausal women oh, okay. with estrogen receptor positive breast cancer, where I would have predicted that chemotherapy wouldn't help a lot and it it didn't. And we no longer give chemotherapy mm-hmm. in that setting. And in, in that setting? In that in, setting. Okay, but 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 in general, I think that what you can expect in the future is a little less chemotherapy, a lot more immunotherapy, a lot more targeted, personalized therapy. You know, chemotherapy can be a good treatment, but it's unfortunately a, a little bit um, non-specific. It doesn't discriminate between the cancer cells and the normal cells as well as you would like. So it has lots of side effects. Hmm. Hmm. Do you
3: think that the MRA, um, MRA studies might have some effect on cancer treatments in the future? MRA. The, you know, like the
2: uh, Pfizer vaccine and uh, the flu vaccine. That oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, 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 yes. I think they may, Um, you know, if you have cancer already, and certainly if you have advanced cancer, a lot of people think that vaccines are just not going to be potent enough to make a big difference, certainly not by themselves. I think if we could identify a high enough risk group of individuals um, for a specific kind of cancer, then that it is conceivable that vaccines could play a real role there.
1: And, and Reverend Winer, I think do, Dr. Per is referencing that the can the MR MR that that, that that new technology be used to create a virus, a, a vaccine to prevent you from getting cancer. Yeah, it, um,
2: it, who knows? Good.
1: <laughs> good. Well that's that's why you do trials, right?
2: Right. right. That is exactly right.
1: right. If if Gentlemen, we have uh, you know eight, ten more minutes. Let's just kind of brainstorm whatever, however the spirit moves you. Dr. Weiner, I wanted to ask if you were talking to oh a high school senior co- class, a class of class of twenty three that's graduating in the high schools. If we, if, I, if I could have you talk to every high school senior right now through Zoom, what would you tell them about why they should enter the health profession, why they should consider science to be important in terms of their future? Because all of us on this 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 uh, Zoom call and, and radio show are AARP eligible, but it seems to be that there are those, you know, in their 16 and 17, this is their world that we that we want to kind of see them thrive and survive and prosper in, even after we're, we're long gone. I just wonder what what, what you would say to folks, uh, young people about the the importance of of discovering science, of being scientifically oriented, being, being scientifically literate and considering the health professions.
2: So I am. I will. I will tell you a real believer um, in a general, a very strong general education, and in the humanities, and in learning languages, and all sorts of different endeavors. Um, I do think that even if you pursue those fields, it's important to be scientifically literate, because that's just where the world is going, and. Science changes so quickly that I think to be a a citizen of the world, you have to be able to keep up with it. As a career, I think being in science is incredibly exciting. And I think you can have a huge impact on other others in the world. And if I can speak specifically to being a doctor, you know, there are a lot of people. You know, you hear doctors say, Oh, I'd never tell anyone to be a doctor again. I'd tell anybody to be a doctor. I -hmm. think it is one of the most glorious ways of spending a career. Um, When somebody is sick and they come see you, you are given an opportunity to enter their lives in a way that most people don't have a chance to do. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to do that, it's a pretty rich experience. Um, and so I'm a big proponent of people going into the healthcare field, whether it's as a nurse or as a doctor or as a physician assistant or a social worker or anything. Um, but that's not right for everybody. And there are, you know, I know lots of kids who say I'd never want to do that, but, I'd, but I would be a scientist. And, and again, even if you're not going to be a scientist, Keep, keep abreast of science, learn about science so that, you know, 30 years from now, people aren't speaking a language that you don't understand because you haven't been able to keep up with it.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Dr. Wonder, I think that
3: the Yale Cultural Ambassadors really need your help because we want, we're, we're seeking to achieve the same goals. One of the things that we're looking at, the FDA has, uh, we're working with a, a kiosk that we can put in our churches and in community centers where individuals can go in and do telemedicine. They could go in and get, um, you know, test their temperature or blood pressure or other things, but also they could ask questions and questions. So for me, your input on what we might be able to put into that kiosk that would help with the screening or the information that we could give our uh, individuals who use it, I think would be invaluable for us and the FDA. So I'm, I'm gonna get back to you on that. I'll give you time to think about it. The other question is not, not related to this. It's related to Russian studies. One of my classmates, Paula Lieberman was uh, Dr. Lieberman. She was taking Russian studies and she was taking it for years <laughs> at Yale. And I, you're the first person I've ever heard uh, that Studied Russian, um, you know history.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I I I love doing it, but I still I I needed to be a doctor. And you may say you need my help, but I need your help to do what I want to do. Yes, mm-hmm. yes well, right.
1: that's why we're here to be, to build that collective bond, particularly the the March into twenty three, with, with a with a unified uh, force. We have four more minutes, everyone. I want to give Doctor Weiner the last word, of course. Just wonder whether any questions or concerns or, or comments on your mind? Reverend Clayton? Okay, I think. I think he's frozen. He's frozen.
4: frozen.
1: Uh, there he is. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll have him.
4: Dr. Weiner spoke about uh, that he would never tell a person not to be a doc- doctor. He probably would encourage people to be a doctor. and and. It, and on our end, we would encourage people to become part of the clergy because <laughs> the faith and the science mm-hmm. works wonders for people. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some people who, who will, will don't go to the doctor until they're really sick. And there's some people who don't call a preacher or a chaplain until they're in the hospital. So it works together. And we thank God that these two careers does some marvelous things for so many people. And um, Dr. Weiner, I get a chance. I thank you so much for your comments and your insight today. It, you,
2: it, it was brilliant, indeed. Well, Reverend Clinton, let me tell you that um, this raised Jewish doctor uh, has a son-in-law who is an Episcopal priest, who <coughs> is married to my son, who is a doctor. Mm. Wow! So, um, <laughs> so I, I have the clergy in my family now. All right.
1: Um. Dr. Winer, let me ask the uh, elephant in the room, perhaps, question. Uh, we've had prohibition, we tried prohibition here in America. Uh, cigarettes have now, the cost of taxes have gone up and there's warnings on the cigarette sign, cigarette packages about the, the effects of, negative effects of smoking. Should smoking be prohibited? I know there would be a black market. And I know you've had conversations with this even in your dreams, but it just seems to me if we have a lethal drug that's available on the market, that society, government, public health, all the indicators that we it should be, in my mind, abolished, prohibited. Just just your thoughts in that regard.
2: Well, I think cigarettes are a killer. And um, I would love to just get rid of them. Um, I don't know if that as a realist I don't know that that's going to happen, but I am certainly encouraged by the fact that smoking rates continue to drop and drop and drop Mm. and um, our public health messages have worked. uh, And so I think we just uh, short of abolishing cigarettes um, and other tobacco products. I think we just need to continue to be more and more restrictive.
3: Excellent. Thank you.
2: So marijuana's okay? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next show.
1: The, the, the next show. So, so we'll, th- we'll throw in marijuana and, psych- marijuana and psychedelics. We'll, 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 we'll the uh, again, Harry's going to play the music in about 30 seconds. Uh, Reverend Clayton, you want a short last word? And then I want to give Dr. Winer the last. The last word. As I'm, well.
4: I'm good. This has been this has been wonderful. Thank you, Tom, for
3: and and thank you, Dr. Weiner. I appreciate so much your uh, being on this show.
1: Okay, Harry, that's that's a wrap. Dr. Weiner, thank you as well. I really appreciate it. You're just sharing your your honesty, your integrity, and your passion as we move forward. Let, let's, thank, uh,
2: thank you so much.
0: let's camera action i'm ready to go i'm never gonna give up give up fall down i just gotta get up get up yeah this is my road let's camera action i'm ready to go Face them storms. Now you gon' face the dawn you waited for. I said from night to dawn, I write my wrongs alone. In competition with warnings, Ice galore. Now I'm running toward that My lights are finished being a quitter. But little, little by little, they're joking, telling some riddles. Now I'm in my section, ain't willing to give up. Know you getting knocked down, but you gotta get up. I'm never gon' give up, give up, fall down. I just gotta get up, get up. Hey. Cause this is my road. Last camera action, I'm ready to go. I'm never gonna give up, give up. Fall down, I just gotta get up, get up. Hey. Yeah, this is my role.